The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Big Six Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. It is Wednesday, December 1st, <laughs> or maybe November 31st. I don't know how many days November has. Either way, it's a Wednesday. That means it's a pretty great football show. Pew, 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 pew. Is it December or November? It's December 1st, yeah. Nice. Welcome to December. We made it. Yeah. Christmas we time. How do you rate uh, December a, amongst your favorite holidays or favorite months? Uh, well, first off, I think it's the greatest holiday time of the year, season of the year. I, I don't really view Thanksgiving as a holiday. Nah. I don't know that we talked about it much last week, but I just feel like when your holidays basically comprised of a meal and that meal is not highlighted by the entree, like that's a problem. Mm. And that's essentially what Thanksgiving is. Like, I don't know many people who I go, Hey, what are you excited about for Thanksgiving? They're like, oh, the turkey. No doubt, man. Oh, yeah. Usually it's like a side. Uncle Phil's dessert. dry turkey that he pop trots out every, yeah. every Thanksgiving. I can't well, wait. Well, again, maybe that's it. It's just hard to cook uh, a turkey the, the proper way where it's, it's delicious. So I'm not trying to like rag on turkey right now. I love me a good turkey sandwich or even a nice little slice of a breast there. But I'm just saying like that entire meal, people get more excited about the sides and, and dessert than they do the entree. Do you think that there's a chance? I mean, we don't need to derail the podcast talking about this, but like, you know, a a lot of holidays are basically built around uh, corporations trying to make money. Do you think I would guess that Big Turkey has made a substantial lobbying push over the last 200 years to ensure that we remember that when you know the pilgrims landed, they were just like, man, we got to find some turkey. Like, that's what we like. We love turkey. They were just. They're just a bunch of turkeys running around everywhere. You know, that's all we yeah. saw. We're like, well, we'll eat that because there's a lot of yeah, that. I mean, I guess, around. hey, look, there's a there's a bird with a a, a a weird red thing dangling from its neck. Let's shoot it and see and see if it's any good. And I guess it turned out it was fine. Yeah, here's the other thing about them. You know, those things, they just procreate. All right. You may not know the history of turkeys. Those things like to get it on. And that's one of the other things is they just kept reproducing and reproducing and reproducing. So at one point, I think it was more of like population control. Mm. So the world is going to get taken over by wild turkeys. But nonetheless, I'm shocked that 2021, we haven't gotten like a turkey substitute that's taken over at least a fraction of that market. I just think most people are like, oh, I just eat the sides. I don't, you know, I'm a vegetarian. I don't eat turkey or whatever else. I think, I think I'm surprised that we haven't gotten to that point yet, right? We're like, we don't have an impossible turkey. We've got an impossible burger. Mm. We don't have an impossible turkey yet. It still looks like a turkey, like still the shape of a turkey. But no, it was created in a lab somewhere with all sorts of other things that aren't necessarily from directly from the earth or they've been, you know, processed or mutated at some point. Well, to then be this. Let's not act like the the entire turkey production process is is all natural. I mean, you know, you got a lot of. Well, first off, I mean, 
it, it's kind of like our athletes. Like they juice those things to the gills. Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> this I mean, turkey just, dude, I mean, you ever this. seen a real yeah. turkey you running like in the wild? Big, they are not big and fat. They're like, yeah, you want a big, fat, muscular turkey yeah. that you're going to be cutting into and eating on Thanksgiving. All right. Yeah. It's, it's no different than how you like your linebackers. Do you want some skinny, feeble linebacker? Or do you want this guy to have no neck and he's just up there rocking dudes up? I mean, that's essentially what we want. You know, we want those guys juicing so they look the part, right? Like right. when they walk by, you go, hey, that guy probably played linebacker. I don't think he has a neck. It just yeah, goes that turkey probably played linebacker. This is all this, this is what he looks like. He's walking around like this the whole time. That's because his neck got compressed from hitting people all the time, and now he's got no neck, you know? The Takeo the Takeo spikes look. Yeah. That, you said that not me. So Takeo, if you're listening, no, uh, no, no, make I love sure Takeo. to Please just don't. absolutely unload on Will Brinson. And don't and don't use the new form of tackling, by the way, where your head's out of it and shoulder. I want you to like eyeball through the middle of him and head up and absolutely just bury him. All right. Like we were taught when we were young. <laughs> Face mask right through his soul. All right. He uh, he did a show on CBS with, and I was I was uh, I guess I think it was the host maybe um, several years back down in Fort Lauderdale. Incredibly nice guy. But what stands out is like when you get close to. First of all, he he looks like like if I said the wrong thing, this guy could just like like literally rip my body in half. Um, well, yeah, that's most people though. But yeah, yeah. I mean, Pete claims he could do that to you, even though Pete would need a step stool in order to do it. So I know, like, but, like I'm just going to like lightly jog around the room while Pete flails trying to catch me. He's just you know, yeah. push him over, push him over, and watch him like flop around a little bit on his back. Um, Boy, I tell you what, yeah, he, he's he almost looks like a Thanksgiving turkey at this point in time. Do you know, he there. called uh, Pete called uh, Urban Meyer the figurehead in uh, in in Jacksonville. He called him the figurehead coach on, and then bragged that it was catching on around town. Do you believe that Pete is coming up with a catchy phrase? It's, it's. I think Pete's still upset that he spent so much time in Jacksonville. He can't get a one-on-one. That's what I think. Very possible. I'm just, I'm sorry. Like when you end up being a troll your entire career, it's hard to get one-on-one interviews with head coaches. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of urban Meyer, uh, we talked about this a little bit um, on uh, Monday, but like, there's this idea that Cliff Kingsbury or Urban Meyer and Cliff has come out and you know uh, done the he thing where denied he it. Didn't he deny it. it. He did or didn't? Did not. He did not deny it. Yes, correct. Now I said, and I'm curious. You probably agree. Cliff is just trying to angle for an extension and a raise instead of actually leaving for a college job. Urban Meyer came out and it was reported uh, by ESPN that Urban is not interested in in leaving Jacksonville for a job. And then we have. Uh, maybe well, Matt Rule. Just, just pause there. Pause there. Okay. Let's talk about it. Okay. The reason why I think Urban Meyer is coming out and adamantly saying he's not interested in it is this organization's had his back, right? Early struggles, other things going on, yep. and they've supported him every step of the way. So you're going to be a lot more loyal to them considering the fact that they have continually had your back through what was kind of a tumultuous period at the beginning of the season. So that makes complete sense from that standpoint. Uh, I'm not going to say he owes them one, but I think the way they've handled things with him and they have been supportive with him despite the struggles and throughout the rest of the season, you know, I, I think he realizes that there's there's no reason to start looking for that next jeb, the next best job if that was the case. So now, Urban Cliff Kingsbury, hmm. that's a different story. Nope. These coaches are getting paid so much that. I, I honestly, like, I don't know. I, I don't know if he 
is just doing it for a contract extension, or if at some point he's like, I mean, Brian Kelly's getting paid nine point five million per year. You know, Lincoln Riley's getting what twelve. Mel Tucker's getting nine and a half. And there's a lot of coaches who are making bank on long-term deals. I mean, you're talking nine figures or almost yeah. nine figures. No one commits to NFL coaches like that besides Mark Davis to John Gruden. And maybe he was the genesis of when this all started. Mm. But at least in the college realm, you can kind of blame the job Mel Tucker's done at Michigan State because when he got that 10-year, $95 million deal, every other coach is like, wait a second, it's his first winning season. Why am I not getting that? And so as soon as those big jobs start flying open, everyone's using it as leverage. Everyone's either extending and getting a similar deal or they're going to greener pastures. And so I'm sure NFL coaches are listening to their agents and their agents are like, hey, dude, I don't know if it's realistic if you want to go back to college or not. But the reality is the way these programs are built, especially when you're talking about like Oklahoma or Alabama or Ohio State, like the infrastructure within is that of which an NFL organization, you're a figurehead. You're overseeing the coaching staff. You're overseeing your analysts, your recruiting staff, department, and all that. It's kind of similar to an NFL organization now. Like the lines are very blurred. So uh, I'm, I'm never going to say never, but I do think it has more to do with an extension than anything else. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, if I were picking one coach who is an NFL head coach to go back to college or to go to college, like I don't think there's any way in, you know, Mike Tomlin came out strong and said what he said. I don't think there's any way like a, like a, a, a you know, there's always rumors that like John Gruden was going to go coach Tennessee, right? That was like the annual rumor. I can't imagine. Or Notre Dame. His name was thrown in there for that. Now, sure. obviously his name is not being thrown in for anything right now. Uh, no, 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 no. Well, that's no, because he, of his story that he wrote about in Playboy about Notre Dame. Um, you know with that, right? I'm assuming you do. It's irrelevant at this point. We should probably just move on from John. Probably move on. Yep. Anywho, um, the, the like Kingsbury is the one guy where just because he was in college, he does have the he just has like a college look to him. Like I don't think any coach who's been a lifetime um, NFL head coach is going to jump to college, right? That that just there's too much of a difference between the jobs that you have to do. Yeah, and I think you're also depending on where you're at. You, you kind of have to deal with the bureaucracy, right? Like if you go to Oklahoma, one of the hangups there is, and I think this is for a college coach looking at it or NFL coach if they're looking at it, is Joe Castiglione, their athletic director. This is probably his last hire. He's not going to be there that much longer. So do you really want to go get hired by a guy who's not going to be mm. there for the majority of your tenure there? Like that's an issue because an athletic director – isn't like a general manager. I mean, I would actually make the case head coach in college football have more autonomy than a head coach does in the NFL over an organization. Sure. But there is some holes and things you have to jump through that are a little more difficult or make your life more difficult that you don't have to in the NFL. So there's your pluses and minuses. But if, if the money's all equal, I mean, it's a shorter season. <laughs> I mean, if we're really being real about ourselves, like – the media intensity is not quite as bad. I mean, these guys are getting, you know, all this use of private jets. And everything. I mean, the perks are starting to kind of create a wash where, like, the lines are blurred. I mean, if we're being real with ourselves, I don't care if an NFL head coach has never had experience being a college head coach because the majority of the tweets and the texts and everything else that's happening in recruiting aren't by him. It may be from his account, but it, it, he only comes in as the closer nowadays. So it, it's an entirely different world in college football. And I do think it's getting closer to professional football. I do think it's getting closer to the point where 
like Bill O'Brien. I mean, he was a head coach who was pretty successful with the Houston Texans, winning their yeah. divisions and going to playoffs. And, you know, he's sitting there as an OC at Alabama. I mean, I'm sure he wants to get back as a head coach in the NFL, but, you know, maybe he'd be willing to take one of those openings. I mean, he's a guy who's had success, relatively speaking, at I mean, Penn State. Save Penn State. Yeah, I mean, that's – I don't know. Probably like, overblown, but sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I think James Franklin's probably been more of the constant there, but – the, no, the truth of Bill, the matter. Bill O'Brien took over Penn State when they were in a really bad position. And right, but he, then he also kind of left them pretty quickly high and dry. Like, I don't know that they were through that bad time. You know, it was like, Fair enough. all right, we sailed across, you know, the stormy sea. We're halfway there. And he's like, yeah, I got picked up on a motorboat. I'm out of here. I'm going to Houston. <laughs> and you're like, we still have halfway to go. Okay, that's that's going to be tough. Um, yep. So you don't think, you don't see, is there any chance Matt Rule bounces back to college? Things are not going particularly well in Carolina. You know, I'll never say never with David Tepper because I think he's a guy who reacts relatively you know, quick and, and can kind of make those changes because he comes from a different background. You know, I think people who have patience that are NFL owners, they've owned the team, that's their deal, or they've done it for a long time, right? Yep. But I think these newer owners tend to be like, no, that's not how we do it in the business world, right? Like, what's, what's his background, right? Was he finance, right? So they tend to kind of move quicker and fast and how they, they go about navigating that space i think they apply that then to sports too to try to find that right model to have immediate success now i mean i think you get deshaun watson in there your team is probably playing a lot differently right now i mean i don't know that christian mccaffrey is going to be there after this year um it seems like you know he's had a hard time staying healthy and i would too you know i'd be staying at home too a lot if olivia Culpa was was my yeah. girlfriend which by the way sure. count up how many games he's missed since he started dating olivia Culpo, dating back to 2000 <laughs> my ankles hurt again <laughs> i'm just saying bro like it's it's a weird correlation and uh, it's not a bad way to go home to or not a bad thing to go home to they probably that is a weird correlation they probably 22 games i think yeah in the past two many. years i'm just looking at the college in the summer think, of 2019 i think it's probably he he's on the team for at least one more year I don't think so. I think they use him as trade bait. Oh, they trade anything, sure. But I mean, because because what's the point of for an ankle injury that he has? It's not that serious. He probably could come back, but what's mm. the point of like sitting him out the rest of the season if you're not trying to protect him and ensure that he's healthy enough to then trade and pass a physical come next offseason? A trade before June first would actually create a negative uh, negative hit on your cap. For what it's worth, it doesn't matter. Teams can buy that and the swap for draft picks and all that all the time. Like, I'm just, we, I'm just we've talked about that in the past, like it's an issue, but now more and more, that doesn't stand in the way of teams doing deals. If it is, it is increasingly likely that if he does play for the Panthers in 2022, that that will be his last year, though, given the way the contract's structured. Um, so what was that? I was gonna ask you just really quickly. I know it's an NFL show, but I am curious what you thought about uh, Brian Kelly to LSU and. Lincoln Riley to USC because I mean, those are massive moves. Like, and both those guys have been at various points over the past, you know, five or 10 years uh, listed as possible NFL head coaching candidates almost every single season. Now they appear to be pretty locked into their new destiny, respective destinations. Um, I mean, do you think if you, if you had to pick, if you had to rank those two landing spots, USC, LSU, where do they fall under your top job options? And as a, Notre Dame guy yourself. Yeah. Are you heartbroken? I think USC is probably the easier place to win right away. Yep. Um, look, both Baton Rouge or Louisiana and Southern California have a ton of talent. 
But the difference is you're in the SEC West, and you've got to go up against, at least for the foreseeable future, Nick Saban in Alabama Every uh, single at least year. once a season. Yeah. So and, that's and a problem. And you can't get to the championship game, which unless, means you can't get to the playoffs right. without beating Nick Saban, more than likely, unless you have one. You know, I mean, we, We've seen, of course, teams with one right. loss pull right. it off. And, and, and then even if you get to the championship game, you've probably got Kirby Smart in Georgia staring you down on the other side. Right. So – um, you asked me a question at one point. I kind of forget what it was, but um, are you are you heartbroken as a Notre Dame alum? No, not at all. I mean, look, the re- the reality is, at some point, they're going to have to move on from Brian Kelly. He chose to move on from them. Now, you know, you can chalk up all sorts of reasons as, oh, he didn't think he could win a national championship at Notre Dame, whatever the case is. I mean, the the rea- the funny thing about that is, he went to one of the BCS era. He's been to two college football playoffs the last three years, and they might find their way, depending on what happens this weekend, into one. And so, like that narrative that's out. He's not there, coaching, right? If they if they get in, no. <laughs> like, and what? so the narrative that's out there, I'm like, so you're telling me he left to go to a situation where the cupboards bare, they have culture issues, um, they have O line depth issues, but he left to go down to LSU because they threw a bunch of money at him. But you're telling me he has a better chance of winning a national championship there when his team might literally be playing for one this year. It's like it, the whole thing's just kind of odd, like as far as what the reasoning was behind the move. The reality is, much like anything else, it's a people person business. There's a falling out between Brian Kelly and the athletic director, Jack Schwerber. And time and time again, you know, Trace Armstrong, who's Brian Kelly's agent, has come in to Jack Schwerber asking for another deal, asking for more things. And most of those things were done, but some things take a little longer to get done at Notre Dame. And for those things that weren't done yet, I think there's just a fair amount of frustration. And for a guy who was the all-time winningest coach in Notre Dame, has won 10-plus games in the last five seasons, I think he felt like he deserved more respect in part for what his requests are and to get over that hump to win a national championship. But also, you know, just with teams being interested in him. I mean, USC has come out of a couple times. They tried before they hired Lincoln Riley. Um. You know, then LSU comes along after they miss with Lincoln Riley and they miss with Brian Kelly and they just throw a bunch of money at him. And he's like, hey, man, you want to you match this? I mean, and, and there's just no response. And so, Wait, so, and, so and, you're saying that – so LSU approached Brian Kelly once and he thought about it and turned him down, right? No. Okay. That was USC. USC had approached Brian Kelly in previous years and they had put out some feelers and done some – their due diligence – before even like the whole Matt Campbell conversations first started, which Pete Thamel reported on, he was accurate. You know, Matt Campbell turned that deal down. And then, then they pivoted and they went to Lincoln Riley, wow. who ultimately ended up being their guy. That's how it all worked out. Okay, so but so then with LSU, so LSU so once tried to LSU get... Couldn't, once LSU couldn't sign Lincoln Riley. Gotcha. And once they let that go, and it became public that they were trying to go for him, right? Uh, and part of that... You know, it's funny because the agents are the ones behind all this, right? Trace Armstrong happens to represent Lincoln Riley as well. You know, part of the reason why you make it public that LSU is so hot and bothered about your your your, your candidate um, for that job is because you want that school that he's at to know this is what you need to do to help keep him, right? You need to bring your offer up or exceed it, and you've got to supply what they're supplying, whether that's additional staff and analysts, whether that's new facilities or upgrades or whatever the case may be. It's all those things, and especially to prepare OU for going into the SEC, where all those other schools have it. They have less sports. They have more revenue to generate or, or devote towards their football program. 
So that ends up being, you know, part of the negotiation tactic by the agent. And the hard part is, is that it hangs out the school to dry if it doesn't work out or you don't get the guy, right? If he either signs back or if he decides to go somewhere else. And so LSU now feels like they've got pie on their face and they pivot. And they're like, who do we really like? Who's our guy? Who can we throw a bunch of money at? And Brian Kelly, who they had heard rumors because Trace Armstrong, who represents Brian Kelly, who represents Lincoln Riley, mm. knew that Brian was kind of intrigued by USC, but didn't want to take that job. and want to go. Knew that maybe his ear was open to offers. So once LSU then came forth with a big offer, um, there really wasn't quite as much of a compelling case for, you know, Jack Swerberg and, and Brian Kelly to work this thing out. And Brian essentially just came to him resigning. Mm. It's, you know, it's, it's, I like hearing the, the back end of it. And that's the Trace Armstrong thing is really interesting too, because you know, you have this, this happens at the NFL and college level. Like this is not by accident that these guys are maneuvered into these positions by you know, basically like three or four really powerful coaching agents. Um, any other thoughts on, uh, on the coaching carousel? Yeah, no, I just think it, it's, you see all this. Who does Notre Dame hire? Um, I mean, at this point, there's probably too many candidates to know. I mean, I think you look at your Luke Fickles, your Matt Campbells, um, they, they would look like natural fits there. Um, outside of that, I mean, you could say Marcus Freeman is already on their staff. Yep. But, you know, does he feel ready for that moment? Does he want to take that opportunity? I mean, if it ends up Luke Fickle coming there, he's going to be a shoe in for the Cincinnati head coaching job. So, you know, the tough thing, I think, for their defense coordinator, Marcus Freeman, is as of right now, if he – acts quick and joins Brian Kelly's staff and leaves Notre Dame, it then prohibits him potentially from then being the head coach of Cincinnati. Like he doesn't know if that's out there for him yet. And you got to uproot your family to potentially uproot your family again, or maybe not. So that's an interesting part of all that. Um, but, you know, he's another guy I think they'll end up looking at. Jeff Braun. Will he be about. the interim coach for the rest of the season? I don't know that they're going to name one. Oh. I, I think they feel very good with the structure that's currently there. And that that for you're you're talking about potentially one game unless they go to the playoff, where maybe they they reevaluate and feel like all right let's let's go ahead and name an interim and let's move forward. But as well, of right I think now, a lot think, has to happen for them to get to the playoff, right? Like, I mean, you can make the case depending on the rankings, you know, which which this would have this is airing tomorrow. It'll air on Wednesday, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we won't, yeah. So so the reality is this: this is what they need to happen. They obviously need Georgia to beat Alabama to knock Alabama out. They also. You know, I don't know that they need much more than Iowa to beat Michigan. And then I think they might slide up and in to that spot. And and look, yeah, you've still have Georgia. You still have Cincinnati, who I'm assuming beats Houston, even though it's going to be a tough game. And Iowa's not leaping all the way up. And even if you had Oklahoma State beat Baylor, which I assume is going to happen, Notre Dame would be the fourth team. So you, you really have a case where – No, it's not far-fetched, especially with the Big Ten has been this year – it's really not that far-fetched. And the way Alabama's played, played things so close of late, I, you know, I think there's a chance that could play out. So it, it, that's what makes this whole situation the timing odd. But the timing of this is more due to the fact that LSU's got an opening. The early signing period, which has become basically the signing period now, is next week, and or, or at least coming up here shortly. And because of that, there's this mad scramble and rush to make sure they have a head coach there then pitch to recruits. So – that's why you see everything sped up, and that's why it becomes a really unfortunate timing for everything involved. But right, um, yeah. But well, again, the reality thing, is, like, 
what was that? Well, with like um, Lincoln Riley bouncing so quick in, in, and, and, and you know, that's you, part you know, of it. He's got to recruit. He's got to rebuild, recruit. Then they especially could use it. And, and by the way, to answer your initial question, Southern Cal would be the, the job that's easier to turn around. Yep. You don't have really any competition in the Pac-12 outside of maybe Oregon, who's not even your division. And then on top of that, if Mario Cristobal leaves, where does that leave them? There's a chance he could end up signing in Miami if that job comes open, as they're still trying to find you know their next athletic director. So um, that's 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 and I think it's an easier turnaround for Brian Kelly. Look, you, we go. Everyone talks about oh, the last three head coaches at LSU have won a national championship. That's great, and he's a better coach than the last two. Now, I would say he's not Nick Saban, but if you look at his track record, he's been just about as successful as Nick Saban as far as Grand Valley, Cincinnati, Notre Dame, stacking together wins. So he's he's got the resume. It just comes down to does a guy from Boston, does he fit Baton Rouge, Louisiana, especially if things don't go well early? And he doesn't have to worry about the academic standards that you have in Notre Dame, but you also have to worry about some of the other you know protocols they have at LSU. Whereas, you know, if, if guys get popped for smoking weed, for example, it only takes two times and they're kicked out. They're booted off the team. So there's there's other in issues. In Notre Dame, people don't smoke weed. So you got that going for you. Well, you get you get drug tested and you get hair, hair drug tests, urine tests. It's a lot of things. And no, they get kicked out too. But the kid who's coming to Notre Dame is probably not doing that as much as other places, right? Like, yeah. And that's why I don't think you'll see a mass exodus from Notre Dame like you've seen from Oklahoma, where you've got all these decommits. For Notre Dame, like the parents and players who choose to go there, they're choosing to go to the university more so than they're choosing to go for that head coach. Um, all right, let's take a quick break and when we come back. We'll find out what question about Brady Quinn Ryan Wilson was shocked, or what 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 fact about Brady Quinn Ryan Wilson was somehow shocked to find out next. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers. I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe. The Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. So, so we're talking about this job. I don't know if it was in Slack or like after the thing. And I was like, you know, the, you know, of course, Wilson pointed out, you know, LSU, you get a bigger recruiting base. I mean, of course, then, then Notre Dame, of course, true. I was like, but you have a monopoly on the Catholics at Notre Dame. And he goes, is Brady Catholic? I was like, 
Yeah, you are Catholic, right? Yeah, but the funny thing about that is, is you know, we had uh, one of my best friends left tackle for my entire career, that Ryan Harris. He's Muslim. You know, we had a couple uh, players. My backup quarterback, my uh, senior year, uh, was Jehovah's Witness. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all over the spectrum. It's not like you just have to be Catholic to be. Recruited he's not required there. to be Catholic to be there, but like, not at all. If not you're a all. really good Catholic athlete, or like a really oh, good Catholic yeah. football player, you're they've you're, got the end to it because yeah. they understand that the structure of what they've been going to in school, they can handle the rigorous academic schedule, and their parents who sent them there, however they got there, probably want to keep them on that path, right? I mean, I, I know we feel like education doesn't matter anymore for a lot of these college athletes. But it does for the kids who choose to go to Notre Dame. And that's why they go there. I, it's I'm chuckling it. because not that I'm, I'm not Catholic, but my son is currently at a Catholic school. There you go. So you don't have to be. It's a Lady good school to him, right? Yeah. Uh, I guess he's Methodist. I don't, I don't know what he is. Either Presbyterian or Methodist. Like maybe he's Catholic. Hell, I don't know. Anyway. It's sad you don't know what your son is. Well, I guess he's Methodist because he was baptized in the Methodist Church. Yeah, that would make him. That would make that would make him. <laughs> that would pretty clearly make Methodist. him Methodist. Yeah, that would make him Methodist. Yeah. But I, I grew up Presbyterian. I don't really see it. There's not a huge. It, it, this does not need to become the religion podcast. Um, start over. Oh, we cover everything here. All right, very quickly, let's run through the updated playoff picture because it is fascinating. After Monday Night Football, to see. By the way. Can I go off on a tangent? Oh, that onside kick rule is oh. the dumbest rule ever. Like it's meant for player safety. I get it. The guy was on the backside of where the ball was kicked. It had no impact on the play. It'd be like an outside zone play to the right, and then your backside tight end, who's just trying to cut off the backside end, holds and they throw a flag, and the ball is all on the sideline. It has no impact on the play whatsoever. If the running back cuts it back, I get that, but I just sit there and I go. This is so stupid. Like this play is usually so insignificant and hard to convert. And yet we're going to, we're going to like basically throw a flag in a guy for a legal formation because he's off a yard and he had no impact on the play. Yeah. It was so stupid and it could have ruined what could have been a magical ending. Um, so yeah, it could have been incredible. You're right. You guys don't go off on tangents like that on the earlier shows. I listen to them. You guys don't do that. What do you mean? You guys don't get mad about like an onside kick rule for a legal formation. You get insanely mad on like Sunday night about them. We go nuts. No, maybe Sunday okay. night, not Monday night. Hey, not Monday night. No, not Monday night. Um, or Tuesday. I think I was just glad I, I didn't lose my Washington bet. Um, I, I did want. I did kind of want them to get the ball. I needed one catch from Tyler Lockett to win my fantasy matchup, and it just didn't happen. By the way, it was a shocking Metcalf when we had one catch with like a minute left in the game. Yeah, real. Shocking. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. Uh, so. Really quickly on the Seahawks before we get into it, because Seattle is now probably toast. They're three and eight. Uh, Washington is in the playoffs as of today. San Francisco six and five. Washington the seven seed at five and six. Um, I feel like I feel like you deserve more credit. I might even I might even like write a story about this and take the quotes that you had from the previous podcast about Russell Wilson because the things that you said were going to happen with him are very clearly happening. Like he is not comfortable with the football in his hands right now. It looks like yeah. he looks like somebody who suddenly has like lost the, like we were saying, if you know, if you like burnt my fingertips off, I would have a really difficult time typing. Like he looks like somebody who he doesn't want to run because he doesn't trust his grip on the ball. 
He he's holding the ball too long. He's taking bad sacks. He doesn't trust where the ball is going when he throws it. It it it, it very like it very clearly looks like it's flying off his fingers, funky at the end. Like what you said appears is is happening with the Seahawks, right? Yeah, and and there's it's funny. Someone asked me, they're like, "Well, can he just numb up his finger?" And you're like, mm, "Yeah," but it's not about pain. This is about the fact that you like you just don't have feeling anymore in your fingertip, and your finger's not going to be as strong or not going to move the same way it did before, and and so you kind of have to adapt and adjust the new normal. Now, this literally happened the second game starting in my career in the NFL, and I, I I'm not saying this you know hey this is why it didn't work out for me or anything like that, but I never it never felt the same after that after getting the pins put in pulling them back out. I always remember throwing the football being like it never felt the same. Like even in Denver and like, Kansas City? No. I mean, no, no matter where I was, like it didn't matter the rest of my time, my time in Cleveland, my third year in Cleveland, my, you know, Denver, Canada, whatever. It never felt the same. I had to adapt to a new normal and how it felt. And sometimes it felt kind of funky coming off your finger, you know, because you didn't have the same sensations. Um, but so anyway, that's going to be something that he has to figure out eventually. I think over time he will. The, the greater problem is, you know, what I just kind of pointed out is if your game plan doesn't have you getting the ball to DK Metcalf early and often in the game, I, I don't know what you're doing. And it's yeah. the first year, you know, calling for Shane Waldron uh, as their OC. And he, he doesn't have, you know, Sean McVay looking over him or calling plays. And he's the name title. That's part of it. Their offensive line play hasn't been great. Uh, that's part of it. And then I think you're starting to see like a real lack of confidence in Russell Wilson in how he's throwing. And again, that's to be expected when – you don't have the same type of pop or zip. And like, you're so used as a quarterback to having like, almost like I can like not sound, not sound like completely corny here, but like uncle Rico, like I can throw the ball wherever I want. Like I'll put it over those mountains. Like I'll like irrational confidence. Yeah. I mean, that's what you have to be to play quarterback in the NFL. I mean, literally you are throwing a ball that's trying to be picked off by everyone in between to a spot before a guy gets there. And you get paid a lot to do that and to do it accurately and to do it well. And it takes a lot of confidence in your body to be able to do that over and over and over again. And you can just tell he doesn't have it. There's even times where he's almost kind of like hesitant because now he realizes like that ball is not jumping off the same way. Like this past week, his stats actually looked a little better, but that's because of all those dink and check downs he had at the and end garbage of the game. Time. And not, not, not garbage that, time, but like the, the, no, the final I mean, yeah, drive. In the two-minute drive, he probably hit DJ Dallas for at least three checkdowns, maybe yep. four. I mean, everything was like short, 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 and like just kind of ing- you know getting down the field. I mean, Gino Smith. And then on the final, that. on the final throw, what was it Freddie Swain? I believe. Yep. You know, he almost threatened to run. The Tampa two backer pulls up, and then he throws it. But like even Swain had to kind of come back for it. Like, and granted, that's one he's so wide open. You like almost get cute with. You don't want to miss. Probably you don't want to airmail that one. But that's the problem is like even that sort of throw, you can see like it doesn't have the same type of zip velocity and spin on it. So, um, again, he's going to have to adapt. It's a new normal. I just I think he might be doing it for another team next year. I, I do, too. And it. Yeah, we talked about that. That's what we talked about, really, on, on, on the Monday Night Pod is just sort of like, OK, what do you, you know, what do you do here? Is it Pete? You know, is it does Ross go to ownership and say me or Pete? And I mean, do you fire Pete Carroll? I mean, do you have the, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's yeah. not like a, this is not like a, I'm trying to think of a, like a David It always Kemper. ends up being the player. It always ends up being the player. I mean, I'm trying to think of a time. I mean, maybe Mike McCarthy in Green Bay, 
you know, maybe that was the only time I can think of a team yeah. where, you know, Mike ended up going and, and Aaron didn't, but you know, I, I don't, I don't know. The player I'm loses those think of another example. Yeah. The player loses those battles almost all the time. And additionally, I just think if you're Seattle, you have to, you have to be honest with yourself about your roster and look at it and say, we like, you know, we're just being buoyed how by does, healthy. How, tell me this much. How does Ken Norton get off the hook? I mean, that yeah. defense has been atrocious since he yeah. brought him back. And it's like, that's the other thing is, you know, they brought him back expecting to what have the Legion of Boom 2.0, 3, whatever, and it never came to that. And I think he always flies under the radar. And like Pete kind of does from a defensive-minded guy. Like it, it never, they never get any flack for it. It's always like Russell Wilson or what their offense isn't doing. It's like, wait a second. Like they were the most successful when they had their defense rolling. They haven't been able to get back to that. They they try to play like a team with a good run game and a good defense. Like you have a bad offensive line, no good running backs, and no defense. Like you can't play that way if you don't have that stuff. It's like the same scheme that doesn't work anymore, but you right. keep running it because you know. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we were going to talk about the playoffs, but we got to get out of here. Uh, do you think that pick your two NFC wildcard teams as of today? NFC wildcard teams. I think we feel good. We, I'm feeling good about San Francisco. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, you should. I would say um, San Fran. I'd say San Fran. It's hard to not say San Fran in L.A. But man, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. The, the two besides L. Yeah, the the six. The, I guess it would be three wildcard teams now. I was sort of. I was already putting L.A. in. It may be a mistake at seven and four. I'm confused. They're a wildcard team right now. Yeah, yeah. There's three wildcard teams. I'm right. I said two. What I meant was the two. Who who do you think the six and the seven seed will be? Oh, okay. Um, San Francisco's one. I think Minnesota's the other one. Okay. Um, I mean, look, how many games have they lost by one score? Nine they of their games have been one games? score. Yeah. Uh, has it been like basically like all of them? <laughs> I think they've I mean, been blown out of maybe one game. Yeah. It, it's it's like and now, granted, I don't know how they're going to overcome Dalvin Cook being out. Uh, he's a huge loss to that offense, but Kirk Cousins having a sneaky good year, like always. Um, and, and, you know, I just I look at that team and I'm like, there are a few things bouncing their way of turning this thing around. I don't have any faith in Taysom Hill taking over. I don't know why they don't get my guy Ian Book in there. Mm. You know, see what you got in him. Let him try to, you know, make make this thing go and keep Taysom as what he is, as that kind of wildcat package. Uh, Atlanta's falling apart. Um, yep. That's another one I still have much faith in. So I think it's Minnesota and San Francisco. I think I tend to agree with you. All right. The Brady Quinn Football Show, everybody. Brady Quinn, as always, my friend. Thanks. Good to talk to you. Good luck in your coaching search endeavors. Uh, make sure to watch you. Brady on the uh, the big show or whatever the big big college football tailgate. Big party. noon kickoff. Yeah. Big noon kickoff. Yeah. Oh, I don't have my no. I don't have my out of network branding down. Okay. Yeah. Uh, thanks, man. Okay. Picture this: It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.